they make a difference. Amen? Let's go to Mark chapter 3 for our scripture reading this morning. Can't think of any other better places to read than to read about Jesus. And when he was in the world, he was the light of the world. And when he left, he said then that we are the light of the world. Remember that? While he was in the world, he was the light of the world. But he's not here in that sense. Of course, he's everywhere present. But now we are his representatives to let the light shine. Mark chapter 3. And he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. But the Pharisees were always, always after him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save or to kill? But they were silent. Now, the next verse is interesting. Look at it. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he healed many, so that all, the disease, all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on a mountain, and he called to him those whom he had desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority, and have authority to cast out demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boagines, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so they, they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. Well, imagine the things they accused Jesus of, the righteous son of God saying he's out of his mind, watching him closely to see if he's going to slip up in, in their mind. Pharisees are really something, huh? Look at verse 22. It even gets worse. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he called out, and he called out to them, I'm sorry, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, 
How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house is, will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, which Jesus is able to do, by the way, then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasph blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. What a shame that the Pharisees attributed to the devil the power of God. Verse 31. And his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they said to him and called to him, and a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of, my, uh, the will of God he is my brother and sister and mother. No wonder why we would call a church the family of God. Let's pray. And I'll give you a moment as always. Nice quiet time to come before the Lord for a few moments. Maybe there's a burden you want to give to the Lord. There's something to confess. You also, you might just want to Thank him quietly, praise him for who he is and how he guided you through the week. However it is, spend some time with the Lord. Lord, we thank you that we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people for your own possession. Thank you that you call us your own. We praise you that you adopted us into your family. You made us sons and daughters of the king. Thank you that you redeemed us by the blood of the lamb. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you for a deep and abiding love that never lets go. And in the trials and temptations and problems of life, we can say like David that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil for you're with us. We recognize and we are praising you that we're your people and the sheep of your pasture. And we ask for your loving guidance in our lives. Thank you that we can be here this day. Thank you that our hearts are not hard like the Pharisees of old. That we've received Jesus. 
knowing that to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So we come here thankful that we're your children. And I pray today, Lord, would be a day again where you work in our lives, where you cause us to grow as we praise you and hear your word and, and fellowship even among your people, that you would guide what we do. And so thank you for this day and this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've been bumping into a lot of people that have been telling me that all religions are good and that, you know, they all teach the same things. But the last song that we sang really makes the difference. He is alive, right? I mean, the fact that Jesus died and rose and he's alive makes all the difference and makes that idea that all religions are good and the same not to be true. Secondly, what's interesting, too, is that um, on a different note, uh, the songs always seem to, well, most of the time seem to coincide with the message. And Mike and I don't collaborate on that. But that song, I love that song. I love the song we just sang and also the one before it, All of My Praise. And what we're going to read about today and, and meditate on is the Apostle Paul talking about how he dedicated his life. It's kind of his last words, his epitaph, if, if you will. Take a look at it now, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And the Apostle Paul was confident before death. Don't you want to be confident? Look how confident this man was. We've got to you know, figure out, why was he so confident? 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. Watch, watch what the Apostle Paul says now. For I am already poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Look what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Boy, he's confident, isn't he? Verse 8. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Lord, help us. Help us to understand what this man said under inspiration. And more than that, we pray that, I pray, that myself and my brothers and sisters in the room would really finish well. And Lord, that we can say something similar to the apostle. And Lord, for whatever needs to be corrected in our lives, we pray that you would work on us to that end, that we would, um, that we would grow spiritually, that we would shed off the sins that entangle us, and that we would run this race with endurance. That's my prayer. We ask for your help by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a lot of famous people in history that had great regrets before their death. Listen to what Napoleon said. He says, I die before my time, 
and my body will be given back to the earth to become the food of worms. Such is the fate that awaits the great Napoleon. He's talking about himself. Such is the fate that uh, awaits the great Napoleon. What an abyss between this and my deep misery. I think he says between Christ and his deep misery. Amy Winehouse said, I don't want to die. I mean, these are people without the Lord. You see how it is without the Lord? Here's an atheist, an American atheist. I've never heard of this guy. Joseph Coveney, he said, I die as I live. I disbelieve in God, the Bible, and the Christian religion. He didn't believe none of it. Oh, he knows about a lot of it now. Sigmund Freud said, now it is nothing but torture and makes no sense anymore. And then even Gandhi, who, by the way, when he visited a church, he wasn't welcomed by the church too much, but anyway, God being sovereign, Gandhi said, for the first time in 50 years, I find myself in a slow of despond. All about me is darkness, and I'm praying for the light. Aren't the words of the Apostle Paul a lot different? He talks about the time of his departure. We'll get into that. I'm first going to introduce it. But he talks about his death, and he's kind of looking forward to it. He's the one that said, to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Right? He's the one who said, to live is Christ, to die is? Yeah, he wasn't so worried about death. In fact, he was looking forward to it. And there's some real reasons. Don't you want to come to the end of your life without regrets? I don't like regrets. There are things in my life, whether I, I did or I didn't do. And, but then you know what? You and I have regrets in our lives, and by God's grace, we ask him to forgive us. But now, how are we going to live now till the end? We never know really when the end is for us. We never even know when the rapture is, but it's all coming soon, so we might as well get our acts together. That's what this sermon is for, to get our spiritual act together so our last words or epitaph could be much like the Apostle Paul. Does that make sense? You don't want to come to the end of your life and say, I ate, drank, and I was merry, and then I died. Right? Think of all the bad things. I enjoyed myself. Every time you go to a restaurant, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. Everything is enjoying. And by God's grace, he gives us all things to enjoy. But life is not just about enjoying. I rock and rolled all night, and I partied every day. That's a bad one. There's a lot of bad ways we can end. We don't want to be like that. But listen, when Apostle Paul wrote this, he was in a Roman prison and he knew his time was short. This great apostle who suffered so much for the kingdom of God, this great apostle who endured beatings, he suffered hunger and hardship. You know, that's cataloged in 2 Corinthians 11. Knowing that he was going to die soon, he wanted to prepare Timothy to continue in the gospel ministry. So that's what he's doing. The apostle knows he's going to die and he's trying to strengthen Timothy, right? That's why he said to him in 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason, Timothy, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. Timothy, get going. The gift that God gave you, use it. And use it enthusiastically and zealously. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. He's trying to motivate Timothy. And it wasn't easy for the apostle. Think about what he's going through. He's in prison. And he says, even at the end of 2 Timothy, that everybody abandoned him. Remember that? I'm going to read it for you. 
He says, 2 Timothy 4.16, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Look how forgiving he is. He's like Jesus, right? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This man's attitude is always wonderful. Apostle Paul's an amazing man. What about Stephen, when they were stoning him? Still asking for God to forgive those guys as well. So the Apostle Paul says, may it not be charged against them. But then he says in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that, through the, mess that the message might be fully proclaimed, and all might hear it. So God strengthened him. But even though the apostles going through all of that, he still has it in him to encourage Timothy. Amen? That's a lesson for all of us. Even when you're discouraged, you keep going. We too, like Timothy, need encouragement to stay the course. During this coronavirus season, so much has happened. Some churches are still closed down, I hear. A lot of, some saints are still watching from home instead of going to church. And on and on. So many people are getting immersed in politics and arguing with each other and wasting a lot of time. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to run this race right, we don't want to get sidetracked. Many are living in inordinate fear. I was with some relatives yesterday. And boy, they're, they're so scared. So scared. I dropped my son off this morning at his job. And I saw people 7 a.m. at the gym. 7 a.m. Sunday morning at the gym. People are zealous for a lot of things. We've got to get our spiritual acts together, perhaps like never before. Wouldn't you agree? The tide is going against us. Did you know that the gay men's choir had a song, We're Coming for Your Children? Yeah. San Francisco Gay Men's Choir. The sentiment against believers is, 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 you know, it's like we're swimming upstream these days. But you know what? With all that going on, you and I are commanded to stick to the truth of the Word of God. We must continue to preach the gospel, live the gospel, stay in fellowship, stay in prayer. You and I who know the Lord have been entrusted with the truth. And we, like Timothy, have a mandate from God. Remember last time? Paul charged Timothy in what? In the presence of God in Christ Jesus. The one who is about to judge the living and the dead. 2 Timothy 4.2. Go there for a second. Still introducing this. In light of the fact that we're before God and the Lord is coming back soon to judge the living and the dead, Paul told Timothy under inspiration, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and, and teaching. We need to continue to preach what God says. We need to continue to preach the gospel, that Jesus is the only way, and his death and resurrection not only took place, but by believe, by receiving him, and him only is the way of salvation. We need to continue to preach that and the rest of the Bible as well. And we need to keep doing this with love and patience. I know that when I was getting saved, or after I was saved, I, there were some people that were very patient with me. And I was holding on as a Catholic to Mary and the Pope and everything else. 
And Ed and Dave took a lot of time with me to explain. And we need to sit with people and explain the scriptures to them and show it to them. Why is this so urgent? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they'll turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And as people are wandering all over the place, you and I have the truth, and we can, we can help them steer them the right way. So what is Paul telling Timothy? Get strong, get serious. Get serious. He's trying to toughen them up. In verse 5, which we covered last week, uh, he said, as for you, always be sober-minded and spiritually, to, which really means to be spiritually clear-headed. If we don't take in enough of the Word of God, if not enough prayers are going up, so the Word of God coming in, prayers are going up, anger can take a foothold, worry can consume us, lust, all these different things, we can be sidetracked. We need to be sober-minded. We need to be spiritually clear-headed. Why? 1 Timothy 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. How are you doing in it? Are you clear-headed spiritually? Or has the adversary got a foothold in your life? Don't let it happen. He told him last week we covered endure suffering. It's not going to be easy to live the Christian life ever, and especially these days. Remember when Paul told Timothy to endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ? When I was teaching in the South Bronx, I really enjoyed being there. But it wasn't easy. There were, you knew something was going to happen. There was going to be a vicious fight. Teachers and students would be arguing. There'd be intruders coming into the school. There'd be a whole lot of noise outside the school. And it was good, but there was always something, and you knew you were going into battle. Same thing in the spiritual life. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that come your way, Peter says. What else did he tell him? We covered last time. Do the work of an evangelist. You know, I met a man this week. He impressed me. He was basically going around and giving his card out. But he goes to a church, a type of Baptist church, and they believe in soul winning. And he says, 50 people go out on a Thursday night soul winning. I was impressed just with that. I don't know all about how they do it or what they do, but this and this fella was really enthusiastic for Christ. He tells me he brought multitudes to the Lord. I tend to believe it. This guy was doing the work of an evangelist, taking evangelism seriously. Brothers and sisters, don't forget the mission. We need to reach the lost. We need to be soul winners. And lastly, the apostle said, fulfill your ministry. Complete what God called you to do. And 1 Peter 4.10 says to use your gift to serve others as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. Now, having said all of that, now we go to verse 6. Now look at verse 6. First point. Timothy, live in such a way that you look forward to death. That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? I say, I, I encourage you that way too. Live in such a way that you look forward to death. Live sacrificially. Look at verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and a time of my departure has come. He's in prison, and he knows he's going to be executed soon. 
He calls it the time of his departure. The word is loosening. They use it for loosening animals from a cart or a plow. Bonds and fetters, loosening from bonds. For the Apostle Paul, death, death was a liberation. It was a release. It's kind of like going from prison to heaven. It's not so bad, saints. Dying is not so bad at all. When you go to the airport, when I was going to, to Los Angeles, being poured out as a drink offering and a time of my departure has come. Look at the way he views death. The Apostle Paul knew he was ready. He knew he was ready. Have you served the Lord in such a way that you know you're ready to see Jesus' face? ritual sacrifice of a lamb, wine was poured at the base of the altar. Was the Apostle Paul thinking about the fact that they might chop his head off and his blood was going to be literally spilled out? Maybe. He didn't seem to be too worried about it, though. Because you know what? If you and I are persecuted like that, and even if they chop our heads off, we go out in style, serving the Lord, right? Sacrificial offering to the glory of God. That's how he pictured his whole life. Remember when he said it in Philippians 2.17, he said something similar. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon a sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. His life was sacrificially living, lived for the Lord and for the sake of God's people and to reach the lost. His whole day, praising God, meditating on the truth, encouraging and strengthening the saints and winning the lost. Just keep doing it. Bible, prayer, fellowship, evangelism. Bible, prayer, fellowship, evangelism. But that's the way you and I should be. You need to do your job to the glory of God as well. But even there, you're doing your job to, to his glory. And you're letting your light shine, to go in line with the song we sang. So that's good. You're letting your light shine at the job. On your lunch break, what are you doing? You're either talking to an unbeliever to get to know them and give them the gospel. Maybe you have a believer at your job. You're fellowshipping. You're calling somebody up on the phone. You just keep, I'm enjoying having my day filled with those kind of things. And I encourage you to fill your day up, even sacrificially. Think of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. If you're fast, you can turn there. If not, just listen. Verse 14. I like what he says here. He says, and again, he's defending his apostleship in this book and all of that, but he's talking about how he spends his life. Here for the third time, I'm ready to come to you I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children, now he's going to consider himself their spiritual father, which he was, right? For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And then he says in 15, I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I loved less? But I like that phrase. I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. 
Do you go out of your way to be a blessing to others in the body of Christ? Go out of your way to witness. Go out of your way spending your time and energy and resources for God's glory and for the benefit of others. That's the way we, we and you all, all of us can do it more and more. You know, it's always been said that he labored to the point of exhaustion. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. This man worked hard. This man put in a lot of hours. I love what he says in Colossians 1.28. Talk about a philosophy of ministry. You know, in other words, how you approach your ministry. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom. Man, he's teaching, 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 encouraging, sharing, correcting, rebuking, encouraging. From house to house, not just from pulpits. Not just from pulpits. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. There's a good goal, huh? Everybody complete in Christ. Everybody strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Everybody being all they can be for Christ. That's his goal. Verse 29, then he says this. For this purpose I also labor. Agonize. The word is agonize to the point of exhaustion. I agonize. Laboring. Striving. According to his working which he works in me. The apostle gave us all. And he exhorts us to do the same. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He said to the Corinthians as he would say to us. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen? Brothers and sisters, serve God all day long, every day. Serve him, serve him, serve him, serve him. And you do it by living in a way that glorifies him, by letting your light shine, by living according to the word of God in front of people. Romans 12. Talk about being a sacrifice. Didn't he say that in Romans 12, 1? I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not like an Old Testament dead sacrifice. That was for that time. Now, you and I, as we live, we're a living sacrifice to the Lord. That makes me think that I should bring the way that I live up a couple more notches. Put it in high gear. By the way, what are we waiting for anyway, right? If we're kind of slack in our spiritual life, what are we waiting for? <laughs> all that's happening in the world, rapture coming for all we know, and the end times, and second coming of Christ, and tribulation, and even no matter what your, your end times view is, we need to be serious now, amen? Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. There's the temptation. We live in Long Island prosperous place, it would be easy to fall into a recreational lifestyle rather than a sacrificial one. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let the word of God renew your mind so that you can know and do the will of God. Redeem the time, the days are evil. Buy up every opportunity to serve God. Wasn't Epaphroditus commended for doing so in Philippians 2, 29? 
This guy was working hard for the Lord. Another guy, and the Apostle Paul commends him. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Almost a, a, really a rebuke. This guy almost died to complete, uh, to do the work that you guys weren't doing. That's pretty convicting, isn't it? Can you and I be described as pouring our life out for Jesus? People do it for IBM, Apple, all kinds of companies, gas stations, owners. They, they pour out themselves. The Apostle Paul lived in such a way that he was confident at the time of his death. You know what I found, too, at the end of Romans 16? It was interesting. I was trying to think of other people that were commended for how they lived. And Paul would do this at the end of some of his letters, right? He would single out certain people to commend. And he says in Romans 16.10, Greet Apelles, hope I said his name right, who is approved in Christ. He said the guy's approved in Christ. In verse 12 of Romans 16, he said, Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa, Greet the beloved Persis, and then he says, who worked hard in the Lord. He said that Persis, whoever that was, worked hard in the Lord. May that be you and I. Point number two. Live in such a way that you know you've carried out the will of God for your life. Verse seven. I love this statement. Watch this. And it's all in the past tense. He knew he did it. That, it almost seems arrogant to us. I know I fought the good fight. I know it. He did know he fought the good fight. Watch. I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Check, check, check. He can be confident because he did. He served the Lord consistently. He followed God's word. He played according to the rules, so to speak. And he made it to the end. He completed the ministry that God gave him. It's interesting that he breaks, well, as we break it down, we have to look at these sports metaphors. So what did he compare the Christian life to at first? I fought the good boxing. And wrestling, they had some severe matches back then. It was like MMA, which, by the way, I don't like MMA. I think it's unnecessary fights. In other words, they're putting all that time, energy, and effort, what, to beat the tar out of each other and hurt each other? For money. They got a lot of money. I don't like to get hurt unnecessarily. That's why I never got into boxing. There were guys that, come on, let's box in the backyard in high school. They had longer reaches than me. I said, no, no, we, let's go play basketball. I don't want to box. It's a fake fight, isn't it? That's detrimental to your body. I'm just giving you my opinion on that. But they had these kind of fights back then. But what's he picturing the Christian life as? An intense struggle. With who? With what? I would say the world, the flesh, and the devil. 
Christian life is really a fight. That's why we need the Lord, we need his word, we need each other, we need prayer, right? Because we could be victorious. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. And by the way, as you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, I want to remind you to put your effort into the most important things. For, I'll give you an example. At the end of your life, you don't want to say to the Lord, I debated and I fought all the other political parties on Facebook. I'm a Facebook champion. Facebook champ. That doesn't matter. There's a lot of things we do that don't matter. Do you realize that? Now, what you do, you do for the glory of God. If, if there was an Olympic athlete in the room and you're a Christian and you serve God the way you did it, that would be commended. Although you want to put a lot of time into the Bible if you're doing three workouts a day. 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. We need to live the Christian life in a way that we obtain the rewards that God has for us. But it's going to be a disciplined way. Watch. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive an imperishable wreath, but we, I'm sorry, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, we do it to receive an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. Athletes back then as now were on a very strict regimen. Just like I hear that Errol's on a strict diet now. He's on a strict regimen, right? Athletes are on a strict regimen. And think of their workout schedule, whether it's three workouts a day, and think of all the things they have to deny, deny themselves. There's even been people, young people, that have gone to high school or college, and they keep up this intense, rigorous schedule. Let me ask you for a second. How is your spiritual discipline schedule? Is it rigorous? Is it like you're tr spiritually training? To know that we're in this serious fight, we have to train. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, right? And put on what? The full armor. Ephesians 6. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Truth and righteousness and faith and the word of God and praying at all times in the spirit. I'm not going to go through all the armor now, but you, you go back to that and think about that. Do you have your armor on? Are you running this race? Are you in this fight and are you prepared? You've got to be ready. Otherwise, we get sidetracked. Otherwise, the devil gets to us. Sins creep up on us. It's interesting, though. Back then, they would put all that effort in to winning the Ismian Games or the Olympic Games back then, and all they would get was a pine wreath flowers and plants that would fade. Sometimes it was just celery. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't do all that for celery. I'm sure they got honored, but they didn't. There was no commercials back then. No big contracts. All of that to receive rewards that don't last. What about us? We do it to receive, Apostle Paul says, imperishable, eternal rewards. Brothers and sisters, it's worth it. And he's very deliberate and intentional, and that's how we have to be. 
When is the time you read the Bible? I was reading a book written to uh, 10 Things Every Minister Needs to Know. First chapter, and it's really good. He basically says, you give the Lord one, one devotional hour a day. And I'm going to encourage you to do that. One hour a day with the Lord. That inclu could include prayer, meditation on God's word, singing. You give an hour to the Lord each day, revolutionize your life. That's what the man said in his book. Minister to ministers. Spiritual discipline. How are you and I going to get good at anything? I never got that good at cross country. You say, why? Because I didn't take it that serious. I don't want to kill myself. I went to the practices. We're just kind of, you know, just kind of doing it. The races. I don't run that hard. Uphills. Tot. Remember going to Sunken Meadow for one of these races? Like, what am I doing? I'm just going to, you know. But I, didn't, I wasn't serious about my team winning because in a cross country, right, everybody who places on a team helps the team. After a while, I didn't care about the team or nothing, just self-preservation. Do you realize that we're a team to help each other too? I want to give that analogy as well. We're a team to help each other run this race. So you running the race well yourself helps the whole church. Does that make sense? And then not only are you, we're not to be selfish and just say, I'm just going to take care of my own spiritual life. I don't care about my brothers and sisters. We're also to help each other, right? And that's why we encourage each other and strengthen one another. Spur each other, as Hebrews says, on to love and good deeds, right? We're together in this. But he compared it to a boxing and wrestling match because he knew how hard it is to keep our flesh in line. He says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air with de deliberation. And then he says, basically he's going to say he beats his body. But I discipline my body. It was a word they used to kind of hit yourself. I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself would be disqualified. Beats his body. I don't, know if he, I don't believe he literally hit himself, but you get the idea that he was really serious about keeping himself in check and to enslave himself to God's work. Boxes back then would have knuckles with, well, they'd use their knuckles with leather on it and just beat each other. And he's talking about keeping his body in check. Because he didn't want to be disqualified. He didn't want to be disapproved. He didn't want to lose any degree of his usefulness to the Lord. You don't want to lose your usefulness to Christ. Because of sin. That's where the apostle said he beat his body. What else did he say in that verse? I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Pictured the Christian life as one big race. A race that we need to run well. It really is a metaphor for a lifetime career. I remember meeting a police officer, I think it was in Tennessee, a guy from New York, yeah. And to know that somebody served as a detective all his life, that was admirable, you know? So I wanted to talk to this guy, right? You meet somebody who's a policeman, a fireman, whatever, whatever job it is. If it's a good and noble job, if it's a legal job, not a drug dealer for 30 years, but whatever it is, 
there's something about that. And every job tends to give awards to people, right, and honor them. There are 20 years of service, 30 years of service. That's the way you want to be. Serve the Lord faithfully. I would just say, you know, no matter how you've lived before this day, how do you want to live for the next five years if God gives it to you? You want to fight that good fight. You want to run the race well. Apostle Paul said this in Acts 20, 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I may finish my course. Same thing. And the ministry that I receive from the Lord. He doesn't even care about his life in a way except to do what God wants him to do. And he was like that because he kept preaching even though they beat him. Even though they stoned him, he keeps going. And that's the way you and I need to be. Keep going. Sometimes the best advice is to keep going. There's been times even in my own ministry over this span of 22 years, you're, you're starting to run out of steam and, and maybe somebody else encourages you to keep going. And you know what? You brush yourself off and you keep going. And then you find out the Lord is with you and he's, the tailwinds come in. Holy Spirit tailwinds, right? Keep you going. Isn't it admirable when you know that somebody has taught Sunday school to kids for 20 years? You know anybody like that? It's admirable. Somebody who's been involved in the music ministry for 20 or so years. We know a man like that. He sits over there. Isn't that admirable? Don't you find that admirable when somebody sticks it out? Whatever ministry that God gave them? Or just leaving, letting your light shine for 20 years. You know, this book also says it's more important. How does he say it here? He says, who you are is more important than what you do. So start with that. You're really letting your light shine. Listen, you're going to shine in this world of all types of sin and problems. If you just live the Christian life and I live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived, people are going to ask you for the hope that's within you. Never mind combining that with good witness as well. Letting the light shine and speaking up. What a combo. But the Apostle Paul, he finished the race. He was confident he finished the race. Think about how God wants you to live and what he wants you to do in this church and outside this church and in your family. Figure it out and set the course and go for it. Sometimes you've got to make some goals. My youngest son in high school didn't want to study. He said, why don't you want to study? I'm going to go to Suffolk anyway. He's just one of these guys, if it's not. But now, I see him, it was in a couple weeks ago, he's got an organic chemistry book studying in the summer for the next, I couldn't believe my eyes. I said, you're studying in the summer? What? But he's got a goal. We need to have spiritual goals, right? What are you shooting for? Talk about running races, Hebrews 12. You can't not quote Hebrews 12 where the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was, makes another analogy of a race. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the saints before us that live to the Lord's glory faithfully, right? Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And that's not necessarily a sin, because it's distinguished from what he says next. And the sin, lay aside all this stuff, the weights and the sin that clings to us so closely, and let us... Run with endurance the race. So now what's he talking about? 
There are things that are not necessarily sinful in and of themselves, but it just takes up your time. Little House on the Prairie is a good show, but if you watch three hours of it a night, every night, I always make extremes to make you think. Think about what you're doing that is just, it's fluff in your life and it's keeping you from doing more of what God wants you to do. We've all have some of it, right? He says to lay aside the weights that keep you from serving the Lord the way you're supposed to serve the Lord. Especially sin. And you know the sin that clings to you. One translation said, the sin that clings so closely. Other one says, the sin that so easily does what? Entangles us. It's like Charlotte's Web. What is it that slows you up? Is worry gripping you so much so you can't serve the Lord right? Is anger doing it? Lust? Whatever it is. Jealousy? Politics? Some people are so mad about politics. You could just, you mention one word and they're just yelling at the former president or this president. And it's like, relax, easy. What's holding you back from serving the Lord? Anger, gossip, slander, all these things, the, Lord, the, the, the word says to put it aside. It's like you're carrying backpacks and garbage bags in your, in your Christian life. And you're holding on to stuff that we shouldn't. You're trying to run the race with all this garbage. Let it go. The weights, the sins, let it go, let it go. Last thing he says in that part of that verse, 7, I've kept the faith. Bottom line, he held on to the truth of the gospel. He kept preaching it faithfully, right? He knew he was a guardian of what was entrusted to him, and he did a good job. He held on to it. He lived according to it. You know, to summarize this section... There are some guys I've seen in the gym that I saw 10 years ago. And the guy has the same physique he had 10 years ago. You know what that means? And he's been in the gym a lot. He didn't take it that serious. He didn't, he didn't work out in such a way that his life changed, right? His physical health, at least. We ought to live in such a way that we know we've carried out the will of God. That guy would come to the gym, or these type of guys come, they take a long time to dress in the, in the locker room, and they got everything, man. They have sweatbands, they have headbands, they're looking good. But nothing changed. And then he goes and sits on a stationary bike and he's nice and slow. And then he takes out his little snack, his cookies or whatever. That's the way some of us are spiritually. Hopefully your spiritual regimen is not like that. Not like the guys I've seen in the gym. There's one guy I have in my mind in particular. Same physique. I've talked to him, too. I had a good talk with him. I want to try to witness to him. More important, he gets saved. Right? Because when you go to heaven, when you meet the Lord someday, he's not going to look at your physique. But nonetheless, you don't want to be like that guy in the gym that I saw. Last point. Live in such a way that you know that the Lord will reward you. And by the way, there's rewards that we all get. Right, And I think this one is basically mentioning that, as you'll see in this verse. But there's rewards on, a, on top of rewards. right? Or 
there's the possibility of loss of reward. 1 Corinthians 3. I'm not going to take you to that section now, but you know it. Some stuff in our life is more like, some of our works are like wood, hay, and stubble. Some are like gold, silver, precious stones. You know. Something to think through. And apparently it says that some are saved as through fire. I don't want to be saved as through fire and just kind of get in and, and not be rewarded extra on that. You say, what rewards would it be? The Lord's going to give out responsibilities in heaven, positions and things. You know, I, I don't even know, you know, you don't know specifically what it is, but you don't want to miss out on what God has for you. So if you serve him faithfully now, he rewards you on top of going to heaven. You get extra rewards on top. But listen to this one. Verse 8. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who've loved his appearing. Are you serving the Lord and looking forward to Jesus coming? Are you like the Thessalonians who are waiting for Christ? If you've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you're living to his glory, and... You're one of his people. You are going to get the crown of righteousness. You are going to have eternal righteousness granted to you. Yes, you will. I don't know that we think of these as some little crowns on our head as much as blessings that the Lord bestows on his people for all eternity. The Apostle Paul was sure of his salvation, and I believe that he was sure that the Lord was going to reward him in other ways as well. Brothers and sisters, my goal today is, was to help you to want to live like the Apostle Paul. So that at the end of your life, you can say, I fought the good fight, I ran the race, I kept the faith. Along those lines, I'll give you another encouragement, 1 Timothy 6.18. And in our country, we're all considered the rich. He's talking to the rich, 1 Timothy 6. He mentioned that they should, do good, they should uh, do good to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, and store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what is life indeed. Jesus said it this way, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Isn't it the best place to lay them up? Because if we lay up too many now, what happens to the stuff we have now? It stays here, right? You brought nothing to the world. You take nothing out. There for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't you like the way the Apostle Paul said that? Henceforth there is laid up for me. He, he, he knows that God rewards his people for sure. It's guaranteed. You have an inheritance that's imperishable and undefiled and reserved in heaven for you. That's why we believe that you can't lose your salvation as well. If you're really saved, praise God. But why would we want to be really saved and live a sloppy Christian life? Can you tell me that? Would that make any sense? To not give you all for the Lord? I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, go for it. You don't want to have regrets. Did the Apostle Paul have any regrets? He didn't say, I regretted my Christian life. I regretted I didn't do this or that. He, no regrets. You don't want to come to the end of your life and say, Lord, I know the names and stats of athletes from three different sports. I'm, and I'm not against sports. I'm a, I had a sports family and a whole bit.
But sports has a certain place in my life. It's, it got smaller through the years, to be honest. I read the newspapers every day. I always keep up with what's going on. I watch some games here and there. Not like I used to be. My example, yeah, my example of, of my own family, my relatives was watch every game that's on every night and just sit there, three hours at a clip. Become a Yankee specialist. That was my family. Is that what's going to count when we meet the Lord someday? I mean, think about the things that you and I do that are not going to count for much. Lord, I took the speck out of everybody else's eye and I had the log in my own eye. Oh, that's, not, that's not a good one. Think of all the ways you could come before the Lord, right? You're not going to say this to the Lord. I won all the Facebook debates. Champ, Facebook champ. I argued with people about politics day and night. Right? Fill in the blank, brothers and sisters. Fill in the blank. All of us have things that... We're wasting, are we wasting God's time? I want to go back just a close with the cross-country team analogy. Remember I told you when, if we were a cross-country team, right? Or let's say we were running against another church, let's say. And if you place number one, number three, number five, let's say there's 100 people running. And if we can place in the top 25, right, a bunch of us, we win. Think of it this way. You're running the race and the Christian life individually. I'm going to encourage you to spend an hour a day with the Lord. That's a challenge. I'm going to encourage you to be regular in fellowship because the Bible says do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, right? Sunday. And you really want to have another day of the week when you meet together with brothers and sisters. At least one other day. Early church, they got together for the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread very often. Also, you want to be the best you can be because think of us as a team, that we're running as a team, right? And we want to help each other. If this was a literal race where we're running, we'd have to help each other, right? We'd have to put some people in wheelbarrows and stuff. But we would want everybody to try to get to the finish line. So we're trying to help each other get to the finish line well. Does that make sense? So you using your gift, the gift that you have does that. You, you, you being an encouragement. You giving loving rebukes and correction when necessary. You being good to your own family, men. If you're not good to your wife, you're not as good to the church. Right? What is it? Of all the commands in the Bible, Ephesians, right? Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. It's up there. Your marriage is a reflection of the Trinity. Your marriage is a reflection of the Father and the Son. It talks about children obeying your parents. There's another one if you're a young person. If we really obey God's word, then the light shines brightly and we help our own family and we help our church. There's a song. It's a good song by Alvin Slaughter. 
I will run this race. I, I don't know if it's called, I think it's called I will run the race or something. But I like when he says, I'll run this race till I see your face. Run sisters, run the race well until you see Jesus' face. Does it make sense? Let's pray. Just bow our heads for a moment. Just take a little time before Brother Lou prays for the offering. Just take a little time to think. What is it that you need to rearrange? What is it that you need to change? Oh, yeah. Actually, before we, I'm glad you reminded me, before we come to communion today even. Oh, what a, what a great day for communion based on the message that we had. Um, as we come to this table today, we really need to think if we've been off track. Great time to confess our sin, by the way. If you've, been, if you've been living in sin and it has a grip on your life, you may want to pass by the elements today. I only say that because I'll read from 1 Corinthians 11 for a second. When we come to the Lord's table, none of us, myself included, we don't want to come in a, in a loose way, a flippant way, where we're not discerning the seriousness of remembering his body and blood in this way. We say that because it says in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. You don't want to be guilty of not considering what Jesus did for you a serious thing. Let a person examine himself then, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Wow, it doesn't even, in this translation, it doesn't even say fallen asleep. It says some have died, which is really what, it was, what, what was the meaning. And some have died, but if we've judged ourselves truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So take a moment to come before the Lord. If there are things to confess, certainly do so. I suppose we all have something like that. Lord, help us to come to your table now with a level of seriousness, but and again, also joy, because all of our sins have been blotted out by you. And I pray that all of us would have the appropriate response to what we're doing now. In Jesus' name.